Hey there, welcome to Why We Roll, a tabletop role-playing game design podcast. We're your hosts, Chris Pickett, creator of the historical fantasy game Dance Macabre, and Wythe Marshall, creator of the political sci-fi game Stillfleet. Throughout the show, Chris and Wythe hope to amplify new creative voices. We'll chat with different TTRPG designers focusing on the world of indie games. We take a curious approach to game design, working through a range of mechanical and narrative questions that are pertinent to many designers, players, and GMs. We hope to showcase fresh and even challenging ideas about what makes imagination-based games just so powerful. Okay, let's find out why we roll. And we're live. How's it going, everybody? Chill. Yeah, doing well. Doing well today. Excited to get into this one. Yeah. Um, So, uh, Chris Pickett, thanks for joining as always. Yes, yes. Uh, Why We Roll. Thank you, Wythe Marshall. Um, Thanks for saying my name for the the pod. (laughs) We're still figuring this this part out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the the snappy intro. Um, We have a guest. We we decided to add a a guest um, into the mix um, after already, you know, in our pack schedule for the fall and winter uh, because there's a new game coming out that selfishly um, I'm working on with Tony. So our guest today is Tony Grasso, who's a really cool artist and designer. Um, and yeah, we're excited to talk about all of Tony's work, not just that new game, but that is the reason why <laughs> Tony, I invited you on. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for making time. Oh, cool. No, thank you guys for inviting me. I'm excited. Well, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, Tony, would you like to introduce yourself, introduce uh, sure. some of the stuff that you've been working on and most, I guess, again, like White was saying, most notably, uh, blister critters which will be coming out soon sure soon yeah we'll be coming to uh kickstarter potentially within the next couple months here nice so uh yeah my name is tony uh i am the creator of odd gob games i make funky little sometimes larger uh now that i'm working with wythe uh tabletop games um i kind of really kickstarted doing more solo projects last zine quest um, with a system neutral slash agnostic, whatever word you think sounds better, um, adventure, uh, where you kind of run through the god, the, the corpse of a dead god um, called Amu. Uh, that went really well. And since then, I've been developing a number of other smaller projects. Um, Frogs with Shotguns is a board game uh, where you play as a frog with a shotgun against other frogs with shotguns, uh, trying to get the golden fly. Um, people enjoy that. I've enjoyed playing it. Um, I'm working on a project for the far future that I'll be doing uh, solo as well. But uh, most notably, the kind of the biggest undertaking that I've uh, tried to put together is Blister Critters, a, um, a t- tabletop table TTRPG uh, using the grid system. Um, Wythe has so uh, lovingly offered it up uh, under a really um, expansively third-party license and i think that a lot of the system is really smart and allows me to really stretch and pull at some of the uh more creative bits that i enjoy um to put together blister critters um that's pretty much what i've been working on almost non-stop i'm also putting together a modern morgue board hack so i have my hands in a lot of different uh fields right now primarily in the illustration side of most of the stuff uh, i struggle to write the best that i can and while I think my ideas are great, I know that my illustration and the style that I aim for is definitely where I thrive. Well, it's great working with you on and all the ways. Um, and and I we should also mention, um, Tony, you've done a lot of illustration work now for Stillfleet. Yep, that's true. Um, so that's how I think initially we connected because somebody sent me 
your art station maybe on the Creators Guild on Discord. I don't recall, but um, yeah, we really love your art. So uh, you know, Ethan and I have been working with you on Stillfleet, and then that led us to um, to learn about your other work and uh, and yeah, I think uh, the writing for Distributors is great too. So that's that's kind of something you know you and I've been collaborating on. So um, yeah, it'd be cool today to talk about a number of things. Um, as usual, since you're an artist, maybe you know between you and Chris, we can talk a little about like how do you illustrate games and visual sure. design. You know, visual driven game design. Um, and maybe some practical tips. I don't know. That kind of stuff yeah. might be of interest. Uh, I think that I, <laughs> I think that I do it definitely wrong. Um, more often than not, I'm like that sounds like, like specifically with frogs with shotguns. Um, it was like a morning warm up sketch. I do a frog with a shotgun. I sent it to Twitter, and it it blew up for my means. It blew up in terms of the numbers, and I was like, oh, well now I'm gonna make a game. And so I went artwork first, and then game second. Mm -hmm. um, funny enough. Blister Critters is uh, kind of that way, where I drew a mouse with some blisters and kind of hanging off a TV stand. I was like, people like this, uh, I'm gonna roll with it. Um, so on my part, how I design games is I make a cool image and I'm like, it'd be really cool if I could play this, and then I do that. Um, I don't think that's the common wisdom that people typically give, but it, it's worked for me so far. So we'll see see how long I can keep that going. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, think that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, you gotta you have to have some some point of departure for imagining yourself as a character within a game world, whether it's a board game, RPG, whatever. But like, yeah, I, I think probably more often than not, it's it's a visual cue that kind of gets us there. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, something that Wythe and I have talked about on here a lot is, you know, picking up your first tabletop RPG. And I think we were talking about this uh, last week, or maybe it was with Ethan a few weeks ago. I can't quite remember now, but just like, you know, you open it up and you have that like visual stimulus where you're like, oh, this is a world that I want to, in this is a world that I want to live yeah. in, so yeah, I, I I guess this is a long way of saying give yourself some grace. You uh, you know you're not doing it wrong. You're just taking your own path. Yeah. No, for sure. I think when I think about like a book that I've opened up that I've been like, oh, I want to do that is the um, I forget I don't know who publishes them, but the Into the Flood uh, books. And there's like a second, maybe that is the second one. I'm not sure. Um, but whoever does the artwork for that, I watched some long video essay about it. Um, very very interesting. Really. Like evocative work that kind of ties together like stranger things esque stuff where yeah, it's kind you, of 80 z you but... mean things from the flood by simon yeah i'm sorry yeah. I, think, I think there's a second one that's called something similar well it's tales from the loop is the rpg that that uses simon yes Stronghog's. i'm sorry no 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 yeah. i mean i just happen to be obsessed with this guy's paintings um, okay yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah. I, I saw those like this this is crazy i want to be able to do stuff like that we might have talked about this on the show chris already also um last week we were talking about art from the Possibly. various editions of, of the classic dragon game and like what art grabbed us at what editions and why but um for me you know as a huge retro future you know um hard sci-fi what if the cold war had not ended or ended differently you know nerd um, Simon Stallenhag's work is really amazing, and I was really mad when I found out. I imagine him as an old man in Sweden, like you know, one of those brushes that's like a single horsehair. But he's not; he's like my age, and it annoys me how amazing his art is and <laughs> how games have picked up on this. But his art are these lush, giant oil paintings of robots. But it's set in an alternate 1980s, 90s where technology advanced very rapidly at the end of the Cold War, and there was basically like a mech apocalypse, but also an apocalypse of thought where people VR became very advanced, and so people like. Are basically addicted to VR and all live kind of in cyberspace. It's this real dystopian landscape that's extremely painterly, very much in the vibe of Stranger Things, um, and great for games just even to look at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's similar the function of the art and tells from the loop. It's like you get the whole game from just the cover from that guy's art, 
even though the game itself is, is cool and well thought out, um, it, it's like what gets you to buy a game or what gets you to try it more to the point, you know, and have fun with it. Um, and sometimes that is, you know, or very often, maybe that's I think what you said, it is like one piece of key art that you're just like, man, I got to know like, who are these people? What is this monster? You know, what is this place? Yeah, I think that pulls a lot of people into stuff like Warkborg as well, which is very often like style first. It's what got Definitely. me into it. And, you know, how, however you, you know, want to go about playing games like Morkborg, where it tends to be very loose and, like, rules light intentionally, um, you're buying an art book, almost first and foremost. And, um, like, my physical copy is one of my favorite, like, tabletop purchases, um, just because you can flip through that. This, it's, it's an example of uh, someone just getting to do what they want. Like, an artist got a hold of, like, a product and was like, yep, I'm just going to do whatever I want, and I'm going to push it as far as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I enjoy and appreciate when I can see that, not even just in tabletop or in books, like in media as well, like movies and TV shows where you're like, oh, whoever had the reins on this just got to do the thing they wanted to do. And I think that usually shines through. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I would, I mean, I would be curious to, I mean, we've, uh, hopefully we can talk to these folks someday, but like the folks at Stockholm Cartel and Pella Nielsen, the designer of Morkboard, I would actually, I would be curious to hear how much, um, the kind of like visual and graphic design that's gone into Morkborg, how much of that inspired the writing or vice versa? Because I do think that that's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. It's a pertinent question for designers. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think I, I kind of take a similar approach. Like a lot of the, the writing that I do is based off of art that I've either seen or produced myself and then just been like, Oh yeah, this is a great idea. You should run with it. Um, but yeah, there's different points of entry for that evocation. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, we kind sure. of bounce back and forth on blister critters as well, um, leaning into like how cartoony do we want it to be in terms of the writing, and how much do we want it to be like no, you're little, you're like a turtle running around this post-apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, it should be dark and dire, and uh, dialing in. So it, as it relates to the artwork, like dialing in on my front, um, how cartoony do I make? Uh, how cartoony do I make the artwork? My work tends to lean more. Uh, cartoony with like lots of stark blacks and uh, like bold colors anyway so i think it lends itself to being cartoony but i also really enjoy making work that looks like work work where there's blood and guts and big black splashes across the page um so in kind of designing some of the initial layout that's going into the quick start i've been trying to find ways to kind of marry uh those two loves to have it be nice and bold but also get away with it being uh Finding the right mix of like dark and cartoony that I that I really want uh, people to get out of Blister Critters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can see the. I'm looking at the page for Amu right now, and you can definitely see the kind of Morkborg inspiration, like the bright fuchsias and yellows and stark blacks, yeah. um, and all of that. Well, so I mean, yeah. Before we get in, we should talk more about art for sure. But I just want to introduce the games because I don't think we've introduced Blister Critters as a game or or Amu. No, for that no, we haven't. Um, but sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to cut you off in terms of that. Yeah, there is also, Tony, you do this is so this is three things, I guess. There's the, the games, uh, you know, what is Amu, what is Blister Critters, and also your color palette, right? Because you do have yep. a very distinct um, color palette and sense of, um, you know, kinetic rhythm, you know, the sort of cartoon look. Yeah. It's, I, don't, I mean that a, often I would mean that maybe a little pejoratively, but here I mean it very positively where it really leads and has a lot of energy and it's very fun um, while still being in many cases, you know, dark and kind of RPG-ish. Yeah. And sort of metal inspired. That's what I'm aiming for with it, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know, those are a few different directions, but maybe it would make sense to introduce games so that as we reference them, you know, folks know kind of what we're talking about. 
Sure. Uh, we can. I'll briefly go back over. Um, Amu, but I'd like to focus more on blister critters. Um, Amu was a, a Kickstarter that I did for Zine Quest last year. Um, it's a short kind of corpse dungeon crawl through the the dead body of an Eldritch God. Um, I intentionally made it pretty system neutral, so you can take any system and smack it on top. Um, that was kind of the first time that I did a project, even of that scale. I'd made smaller things and I'd homebrewed things, uh, but Amu was the first time that I was like, I'm going to nail down an adventure with writing and semi-put-together stats and monsters and all the, the fixings of a, of a small adventure uh, and put it into a physical product. Um, and I really nailed down what uh, Wise was talking about was a sense of the color palette that I liked working with, and I kind of got the colors into where I wanted them. And then in having that go reasonably well, um, next step up and uh, working with Wise, I was like, right, I want to make a tabletop game. Um, and like I had said before, I had a couple pieces of artwork that I thought looked cool. And I was actually, before I approached Wyeth about, I think using the grid system specifically, I was already kind of piecing together um, what I wanted the game to look like. So Blister Critters is a tabletop game using uh, Stillfleet's grid system where you are a small animal. Um, I think in the rule we're saying it's like no larger than the size of the book. So like 11 inches is kind of the cap for how big of an animal you can be. Um, running through a post-apocalyptic, post-human world. So in this world, all the humans, poof, are gone. Uh, you don't know why, and you're a small animal trying to struggle to be alive, so you don't really care where the humans went. Um, but because you're in this like uh, late 90s, early thousands, humanless suburbia um, is where like the core rulebook kind of takes place. But obviously, you can be anywhere. Um, all of the humans left their stuff behind, so a core piece of the game is capital S stuff for you to find and use as weapons and armor to solve problems like building ladders or grappling hooks. So there's like a really, really light crafting mechanic in the game as well. Um, but then on top of that, the blister part of being a critter, um, the sun uh, as, as part of like this eco-pocalypse is like supercharged and is quickly mutating uh, all of the life down on earth. Um, so you being a small turtle running through, you know, your little suburban landscape are quickly picking up uh, these blisters that grants you all kinds of weird, uh, somewhat eldritch, somewhat uh, psychic and weird uh, superpowers that allow you to, you know, depending on what kind of uh, class you end up playing, which blister path you take, uh, let you, you know, be like a silver tongue where you can kind of brainwash people, um, or you can be kind of like a brute that just builds extra arms and laser eyes and like razor teeth. Um, and the, the focus of the game is just to be a critter and deal with critter problems. So if it's like rival um, frog gangs in the neighborhood, uh, or there's a two-headed bear that's been screwing up the part of the forest, um, different stuff like that. Totally normal RPG stuff, right? Just to yeah. yeah, just yeah. a normal <laughs> RPG. Chris, what animal would Nothing. you be if you were if you were playing? I, you know, that's a that's a good question. I was looking through the uh, the draft of the rules earlier, and I, I I like how you've kind of organized it, where you can be a feathery animal, you can be a furry animal, things like that, and then it kind of yeah. gets a little very bit scientific more categorizations. Yeah, deeply scientific <laughs> topologies yeah. there. Um, no, it's great. I I think I would be a furry animal. I've often I've often seen myself as as. I mean, I don't know if you can have an eleven inch dog, but maybe like a chihuahua, like a yeah, very, like a puppy. Yeah, very small <laughs> chihuahua. 
covered in yeah, mutations right. and blisters. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I it love is, the, it, the way Tony's written it. There's a bit of the MacGuffin of, like, because these are all animals who are mutants who are specifically sapient and social, they are not really the original animals from just however many years ago before the Eco right. we don't really know. So it's like, maybe it's just, you're, you know, they're, they're sort of branched off, and the feral versions are still basically big, wild animals, but you're, like, the small, cute, smart version that lives in basically human, you know, uses human stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not really trying to recreate humanity, although I imagine if you played a campaign of this, there'd be like a little bit of an aspect of that. Like, wait, yeah. are we becoming the gods who like destroyed themselves? Um, but I think more just, um, you know, who's interested in like human stuff, who's around humans. So it makes sense that like dogs, cats, um, you, could, you could play as one who's just, you know, kind of cute and small. But then outside there might be like gangs of like big, feral, you know, yeah. big dogs. Yeah, I think stuff like that, like really, I'm excited to see what people could come up with. I think that because some of the premise is more simple, the almost the outside uh, home brewy aspect of it is like do any animal that you want to be big and scary, just make it big and scary, give it laser eyes, give it you know multiple limbs or uh, a portion of the game. <clears throat> sorry, a portion of the game later into even your own advancement as a critter, your own leveling up, uh, you eventually get to take on another animal like talent, another animal power. So you can be like a kitten, for like 70 percent of the game and then as you like later on you can take on like an iguana tail so you're this cat running around with an iguana tail or you can be a turtle that has like mouse ears uh, whatever weird you know you can obviously game it to be more uh fighter centric or just have it be goofy and pick on you know take on an extra mutation uh, later yeah. on but that also applies to any of the number of big things uh, running around the world stalking you and hunting you down and that's been cool to illustrate is to try and like piece together like what would be a, an awful thing to encounter uh, out in the wild. Yeah. So like a cat with bat wings would be horrifying. <laughs> so like that's that's been cool just to to kind of mash stuff together and yeah. have that be part of the game. Is that it, it's supposed to be kind of silly and um, uh, absurd, and that's that's what makes it fun. Tony, can I? Why don't I share some of the art, and we'll have to describe yeah. it for the pod. But just so you know, people do watch this on screen later. So here's like for example your cat. That guy, the cat with laser eyes, basically, which laser yeah. eyes, um, running around, um, which is a great sketch. And these are all, you know, you're just starting really to, to illustrate the whole book now, now that you know, the, the first draft of the writing is done and we're kind of editing. Yeah, I just dived into kind of laying out some of the quick start. Yeah, but I love, um, you know, again, you capture the kinetic sort of moment of the cat pivoting. So it's jumping in one direction, but it's turning its body the way cats do, where it's already like going after prey. But in this case, also wherever it's looking, lasers are shooting out of its face, which is just a great yeah. sci-fi like touch. Does, that, it, you know, does it have a brain on its tail? Is that what I'm <laughs> it's seeing? It's got like a cluster of blisters on its oh, tail. Oh, it's a cluster of bris- blisters. Cool. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh man. <laughs> it's just an exposed brain on its tail. That would be hilarious. Um, yeah, that's amazing. And we can also see the blister tree real fast. So this is, Tony was referencing the idea that instead of classes, there's you start at the bottom of this sort of it's more like a fungal mass uh, with fruiting bodies, you know, it's yeah, yeah. kind of bits connecting, um, but the powers are all on this one spread, uh, the names of them, and then, you know, the, you can look them up later, but you only really are getting, you know, you're basically getting one a level, you start with one, so it's not, it's not, like, confusing, it's just, instead of a traditional class structure, mm-hmm. it's a few dozen powers laid out with these branching trees, so you can kind of begin at one end, and you can slowly go in another direction, or you can just go straight up, so Brawler, the the sort of I'm just a big bad mutant. You can just keep getting like body related mutations all the way up and up if you survive that long and then at roughly tenth level or whatever, you are just 
terrifying little guy. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, so there's a little, you know, it's a little class and that you can also choose, um, you know, one of these other options that's going to give you slightly different themed powers. But because you can jump around a bit, um, it's a little more open and the, the themes are a lot looser. So mm-hmm. it's a lot less because you're not, you don't have a job. There's no political economy per se. There is a society. But it, you know, you're not a person with a job, so it's a different kind of game, right? Um, from a game that's reproducing human D and D, but at a small scale, this is leaning more into Tony's instinct of like, yeah, I'm a mutant animal, like I don't have a job, you know? Yeah, <laughs> bigger, smarter, yeah. or whatever, faster. But no, that's you know what's amazing. funny is some of the some of the early ideation for like uh, prompting people like what you could do on any given episode, um, like a session. It's called an episode in Blister Critters. Um, was thinking of like what would be like a hum- like a mundane human thing that would be interesting or much more grand for animals. And one of the one of the smaller things I thought would be funny is like all the humans are gone. Obviously, all their trash and all their litter is still out in the forest. So the uh, the critters have kind of banded together and they've devised their own uh, like garbage teams. And they they pay you in like snacks and berries and stuff. But they're like, look, we have to we have to re-inhabit the forest now that the humans are gone. We have to clean them. And so you kind of you know, pay your due, you go in, you grab all the stuff, um, yeah. uh, stuff, capital S stuff, because as you're picking up litter, you can also be like, this would be a cool thing to add to my backpack. This would make a good weapon. Yeah. Um, so it's one part, like, weapon finding, one part uh, <laughs> uh, recycle and uh, there's a specific word that I'm that I'm not coming with, yeah. but... The, um, the vibe that I'm getting from this is, like, definitely eco-disaster, but it's like Saturday morning cartoons meets eco-disaster meets body yeah. horror... Um, you know, like, and I think that all of the, oh, that's great. Yeah. All of the illustrations that we're looking at really get that across. Like, actually, can we go back to the, um, the skill tree or, or the, uh, the blister paths. The blister paths. Yeah. Blister tree. I know for the, for the podcast, people aren't going to be able to see this. Maybe we can like link some images in the show notes or something, but I really love the design of this because it feels both mycelial, but also kind of cancerous at the same time. So, like, even just looking at the visual design, I'm getting the sense of the world building, even from something that's functionally a mechanical artifact, right? Um, right. Yeah, and I really it, wanted... it... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tony. No, I was just going to say that in terms of the way that it's it's formed and structured, um, if you were to, like, set out the way the, the paths work, it's kind of simple. Uh, but I really am trying to, like, push the form and the mm-hmm. shape of it to look more organic. Um, because again, if you just put them all into similarly sized circles and you just put them straight up, um, they all merge and they weave and they branch together. Um, but I'm, I'm still trying, this is a, still like a really early draft of it. I'm hoping I can right. push it even further, um, to really get what you're talking about to where it does look more organic and much more like plant or lifelike yeah. than just, you know, goes up, why, up, why, up, why. Yeah. When you were, right. when you were designing this, did you start with a more, um, I guess, mechanical kind of like draft of it where it was like okay well i need to plot out everything and then figure out the way it's going to look or was it just like it just came out this way uh it was a bit of both so the first time that i made it it was very much what i said earlier i just made it look cool and i was like i'll figure out how it works later (laughs) um and then i sat down to do uh, a more clean version where the circles were all kind of the same size and i wanted to figure out how they interacted um and so it's been about it's been a bit of back and forth um, this one is after I've done a more structured version, um, and then now I try to map it on to, uh, like I started with having them all be dead on and then just like liquefying them and moving them all over the place to kind of get to where they have to be. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Um, 
working with you, Tony, in terms of design that makes a lot of sense and there's a lot, there's a core vision behind it that's very clear and doesn't feel random. But the design is being driven a lot by these these feelings of like, how can we make this this one cool spread, right? Which is a little bit different um, than how we designed most of Still Food, I would say, um, which was really written, like a lot of it was written on my phone and like the notes app as like bulleted lists, um, with, which became larger, you know, paragraphs. But it wasn't really visualized until, you know, later. It was an ex post facto application of graphic design, whereas here you're kind of starting from illustration design and saying, I know I want sort of types or themes, but I don't want traditional classes, and I want it to sort of fit on a spread and look good and be appealing, but also be really weird and funky and convey the world of the game at a glance. So I like that from the very beginning we're kind of planning the game a little bit differently um, without, you know, it's still using the same fundamental uh, scores and whatnot. Um, I'm sure you could eventually imagine you know, Blister Critters D20 or Blister Critters PBTA yeah. or whatever. But um, but I, I like that it's it's doing both. It's like checking both boxes in a really fun way um, that I, w- I wouldn't have been able to like design this way, right? Um, I think you have to have a certain level of skill with just like rapidly iterating drawings in a way that I feel like I'm comfortable rapidly iterating writing. But it's a different skill to be like, yeah, I'll draw and redraw this like, complicated tree diagram um, for funsies. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The the tree specifically is something that I really want to nail down because I know it's going to be like a really it's going to be something that people look at a lot. It's like how you literally level up and how you decide where you're going to go. Um, in our in our call with um, Leo, I think he had mentioned it'd be cool if we could color on the way up, like color the advancement. Um, so if you're starting at like a brawler and you would follow the arrows um, as you go, you could like take a crayon or a marker. Because um, ideally you'd have this printed out somewhere on the table um, for people to look at. So I, I like incorporating like a something that's like tactile. I think at the table, um, if most of the games seem to be going to be played theater of the mind, um, I I like giving people something cool to hold and to look at while they play. Yeah, and that's something also we we can talk about, um, which is and so this is all you know again just for anyone listening to this in late 2023 or early very early 2024 um it's all nebulous because we're still writing and play testing so um you know we're thinking of doing a kickstarter for zine quest 2024 which would also still be you know a time for play testing and writing it wouldn't really lock us in until we're producing the final version in the spring of 2024 but um you know we'd, we'd love feedback but one of the things tony brought up also is having lots of little plays and thinking through um a little bit not you know non-traditional really fun ways to to have sort of optional rules or like world building you know collaborative storytelling um that isn't just pure theater of the mind which is more what i tend to do it's like okay you have your character or whatever now let's imagine we're all in a place and then all the rules i'm making are for that sort of environment mm-hmm. where we're just like looking at each other at a table but you know tony you've imagined for example the idea of doing these like mad libs kind of documents um to, that is there's an optional rule attached to um yeah imagine the, the cartography right looking through a house from the scale of you know you're a mouse or a bat or whatever you're this tiny animal and how would you sort of see that and what would you find? Um, so there's a lot of kind of ways to think through the game and, and things you want to play around with um, to, to like let people do theater of the mind, but then have all these sort of ways that they could enhance it or bring it into the, the sort of physical world and reinforce some of those themes of like, you're in a cartoon animal universe, you know, you're at a cartoon yeah. at an animal scale, et cetera. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you want to launch in any of that, but I, I yeah, no. So cool in terms say. of like uh, bringing people, I really want Blister Critters, because Blister Critters, though the world of it is is the human world, just without the humans, and after this eco-disaster has happened and all the animals are left, um, I really want to encourage people, and I think I've done so in the writing, um, 
to explore the world as a small animal, but like knowing human stuff um, to, to varying degrees. I think it'll be fun for people to re-explore and rediscover the world. Um, but because a large portion of the game is the human stuff that got left behind, um, your weaponry in the game is whatever you can mangle together. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for one of the illustrations I'm working on right now, there's a frog that wields, it's like a rubber band ball on top of a pencil that has thumbtacks like sticking out of it. So it's like this big mace. Um, I've had a player use like a sewing, uh, not a sewing needle, like a crochet needle as a weapon as well. Um, so encouraging people to think about what, what would be in a human house. And then that kind of leads into uh, the mapping aspect of it. So in the writing, there's a couple of optional rules for how you would go about like setting a scene, setting up what's in a given room. Um, and then that'll inform the kind of stuff that you can find there. Um, so I usually give the example of like you're entering like what would have been a child's room. Um, what was this kid really into? Was he really into dinosaurs? Oh, well, there's probably lots of like really cool dinosaur figures around. It'd be really cool if you could like take the Triceratops head and use that as a shield. Are there like mech dinosaurs? Maybe they have little rocket launchers. Rip one of those off and use that as a weapon. Um, <laughs> And so, like, it, when you start thinking about it that way, the options for the things that you can interact with are infinite. And that's, like, fun, because uh, having a really cool dinosaur mech rocket launcher as a weapon, as a tiny frog that also has, like, rabbit feet, would be, it sounds fun to me. Um, yeah. On top of that, something that we actually haven't talked about yet are the blips. So stuff that are that have gained blisters, that have suddenly gained sentience. Oh, wow. Uh, so on screen, uh, for those that are able to see, this is uh, Snippy. He is a pair of scissors that has been cursed with sentience. Um, so blips, blistered stuff, uh, in blister critters, um, are inanimate objects that have been suddenly thrust uh, alive. And they aren't incredibly smart. They typically only know the things that they knew how to do when they were inanimate. Uh, so Snippy the scissors um, desperately wants to cut something. So if you were to encounter him as a player, uh, he is probably trying to what it seems like attack you. But if you just offer him like a piece of paper or anything that he could cut, that would probably satisfy him. Um, and so having that having that option, they would be pretty. They're not like super frequent. They're not just running around. But having those as encounter uh, options as well has been fun to think about. Like, what would a microwave do if a microwave was able to flail about, just smacking its door for locomotion uh, against the ground? Or like a gumball machine that is spitting out gumballs, um, like as little projectiles. Yeah. Um, it's really funny. All I'm, of this really strikes me as like the world that you're creating is is absent of, but very haunted by humanity <laughs> and like the anthropocene. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like this pair of sentient scissors only knows how to do what human beings have designed it to do. So there's still this yeah, there's like nothing else. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's a yeah. there's a darkness to blister critters that Yeah, yeah. It, it it's been something that uh me and Wyatt have kind of bounced back and forth on and how how dark do we want it to be and then how cartoony like cuz it can go either way, right? It can go really far into it being like super post-apocalypse and dark or we can go really far into it being a cartoon where everything is zany and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh which is something that we're writing into the book where we offer if you want to play a zany game where everything is kind of fun, go crazy, just, you know, swallow a fridge whole as a frog and have that be a thing that you can do. Um, or if you want to play a more hardcore game where, no, you're a frog and there's a bear hunting you down, 
that's not nothing. Like you have to, you know, it's probably like a one swipe from the bear and you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on what kind of game you and your table want to play, Blister Critters really offers the whole range and everything in between. It doesn't have to be one or the other, right? Um, the whole range of playing a Saturday morning cartoon where the stakes are really low, but the fun is really high. Or the other way around where the stakes are really high, but the fun is still pretty high. Yeah, I mean, I think um, hopefully we'll, when this is a podcast, we will um, hopefully just in a few weeks, we'll also be dropping the quick start for Blister Critters. So we're going to yep. love feedback. But um, I think one of the ideas we came up with is maybe maybe we'll stream a couple of playtest games and, and some will be more in the zany, Ren and Stimpy, Looney Tunes, and where it's kind of cli-fi, but, you know, Ren and Stimpy. So you can, um, yeah, you, you're, 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 your long animal ears can twist and become, you know, propeller blades and take you away or whatever. Yeah. Um, and those are there are rules for powers that would, would let you do some of these things, and I think we're trying to keep it so that the rules are the rules, but there's different interpretations of sort of how to, to read through, you know, how, how to interpret this. Because I'd like to try to run when we're using the same rules, like what what breaks if I'm trying to run it as, um, like a, just a, you know, uh, like Peter Chung, the guy did, um, and Flux, you know, doing doing one where it's not as like cart- cartoony in terms of surreal logic, but uh, but treating this as like you know find disruption, all the humans are dead, and so now we're in this kind of red wall um, watership down scenario with animals and, like, what do they do to survive? Um, how do they, yeah, like, build, like, flails out of rubber band yeah. balls and thumbtacks? Um, so I think I think you should be able to ideally use the rules either way, with as long as you're okay with some level of, like, there's mutants, right? There's, like, you know... Yeah, there's right, some right. amount of, like, cartooniness. I think right. it's inherent right. to blister critters. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I yeah. think that that needs to be there, really. I mean, you can, you can go... There's there's already so much grim dark content in the world, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's something nice about the the um, juxtaposition of the Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, I do get the Ren and Stimpy vibe out of it for sure. Uh, but yeah, I like yeah. that juxtaposition and... of like very dark um, possibility with the game, but then also this kind of like cartoony, fun, bright way of presenting it. Right, yeah, and and there's also already so many um, animal games. So as you're saying, yeah. like one of the things I think we both, you know, I really liked about Tony's pitch was I don't see a lot that is, like, I, I loved Ren and Stimpy as a kid. That was definitely, like, my favorite show growing up, um, and along with Anthrax, I guess. <laughs> um, and there's something about that um, style of animal uh, and its relation to actual ecological collapse, for example, and the actual built environment of, of humanity. Um, that I haven't seen other animal games treat. They tend to, to focus more on this, I don't know, sort of fantastic utopian mm-hmm. landscape where there's lots of animals and humans either are not around or they don't really matter. Um, without, you know, but but in a different register here, just as you said, Chris, it's like we want the game to be haunted by humanity, which could take different forms. I mean, it could be in the register of this like grim, dark, like sad, you know, story, or it could just be this kind of zany thing where you're in a very human landscape. Which I guess is a little more like you know not thinking about a Toy Story, right? But um, yeah. but I think because they're mutant animals, they're drawn in a gross way. It's going to militate against too cute of a reading, mm-hmm. even though it's not it's not a game for um, that's like rated R, right? It's just it's just kind of no. gross in the cartoon sense. Yeah, um, it's the still shots from Ren and Stimpy or from SpongeBob where it's like suddenly exactly. it's an oil painting and you can see every pore yeah. and every blister and <laughs> it's not what you that's want. That's literally built. That's literally built into uh, the game. Like your one of your powers as a GM, as a as a producer, as it's called in this game, um, is to highlight stuff like that. It, it, I forget it's called like a gross out cutscene or something mm-hmm. to that effect, where it is like literally a reference to like the SpongeBob kind of 
thing where they zoom in and it's all crusty and it's been painted. And, yeah. um, so there's also like powers that the GM has, the producer has um, to really either lean into it being a cartoon where you have this gag cutaway. Uh, something that I've been doing is like offering um, like out of context cutaways, like in a show that you would have where your critters wouldn't really know that it's happening. But as a cartoon show, you would see this bird, like whatever the, the, the predator flapping its wings and on its way, and it probably cut back and forth to let viewers know, you know, danger is on the way. It's coming later in the episode, mm-hmm. um, and that's been fun to give players, um, depending on how well they're able to kind of differentiate like what they know and um, like player knowledge versus um, like character knowledge stuff. Um, but there are powers built into the game that let you lean into it being like actually a cartoon, or to what Wyatt was saying, where you're. Uh, just, just trying to make it, <laughs> just a, a hapless mutated um, little ferret trying to get through the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, and, and yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say the other thing that this has reminded me of a lot is uh, Paleomythic. I don't know if you've seen that game, Tony. It's uh, it's by Graham Rose. It was published by Osprey. I want to say like three or four years ago now. Um, but it's it's a stone and sorcery TTRPG. So it's like you know sword and sorcery stuff, but it's set in like ancient new uh you know kind of Mm -hmm. pangea setting but there's similar kind of um mechanics around survival and around uh foraging and creating your own weapons and armor and things like that but it has a much more you know i think self-serious tone to it than blister critters obviously does um but yeah i do i I like uh i'm curious to hear more about kind of the crafting mechanic and how you've uh integrated that into the Mm -hmm. game yeah, uh, I want the crafting mechanic to be very light because um, it should be something that kind of happens like in a cartoon where it's like this blur of lines and little stars popping off. And like, oh, there it is. I got the thing. <laughs> it finishes with like a like an oven thing. Um, so it, uh, stuff crafting and basically everything related to stuff utilizes the uh, noggin stat. So if you're playing the game and you want to lean into uh, being like a tinkerer or the person that people go to to, to craft stuff together, uh, you're going to want to throw your you know, better dice into uh, the noggin stat. Um, and it's really, uh, you grab um, all stuff in the game, uh, takes up your inventory space, your stuff points. Um, so every critter has a set amount of stuff points that they can keep on their person, either in their hands or on their backs. Um, that's not really, like, we're not that crunchy about it. But let's say you have five stuff points. And as you grab stuff, um, smaller stuff is one stuff point, a little bit larger, two um, so at the point where you're grabbing something that's like four stuff points, which would be like probably like a hammer, like a human hammer, you're probably only to carry that and one other thing if you're a turtle. Um, so as it relates to crafting, um, you would add the stuff points together of however many components uh, you have. So if you're putting a bunch of like low, like smaller stuff together, it might still add up to five uh, stuff points as like the difficulty for the crafting check. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just try and beat or exceed a five, or hit or exceed a five, um, in terms of being able to uh, successfully craft that thing. It's not something I want to be terribly difficult, or I want to encourage people um, to to lean into finding cool stuff and then crafting it together. Um, obviously, if you're trying to put like two hammers together, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I still want you to be able to try. Yeah. Um, and then because of the the blister tree, and because you're able to lean into different kinds of play. Um, if you're playing the thinker, which is like the opposite end of the brawler, um, they actually get like bonuses and are granted advantage on crafting checks, on stuff finding. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things you've done well throughout the book is just state over and over again that like there's stuff everywhere. So it's really yeah. somewhat a question of imagination, carrying capacity and like people's interest. So, and, and also not, sorry, people's interest and character interest because the person sure. can be like, I want to do the scene in the bathroom because I want to make a shiv, like a lance, a halberd out of a, <laughs> a toothbrush. Um, a kid's toothbrush. <laughs> yeah. But like the character might be like, I am a rat. I don't like, that is a weird stick. I'm going to go over here and like yeah. make this expired cereal. And like, so there's interesting tensions that again, cause it's, you know, only very lightly been play tested yet. I think that's something we're looking for feedback on as, as we develop it. Um, but I think it's already in there in a really great way, which is like, there is an infinite infinitude of interesting material around you that um, you as a human at a certain scale take for granted and, and only use a certain way. But Absolutely. if you were a mutant rat, you would have instantly like a different relationship to, and, and it's lightly mechanicalized, but it, right. There are different attributes that make it interesting enough where, yeah, certain animals are just bigger, stronger, that they're able to carry more. Um, mm-hmm. Certain animals are a little smarter, you know, certainly a baby monkey is going to be smarter than, um, um, you know, a bat. And so, whoa, whoa, you know, whoa, there, let's there, not it, hate it on bats. There, right? <laughs> I'm not, not hating on bats. We're just not pointing out like no, <laughs> manual dexterity. I don't know. I'm not worried about a bat stabbing yeah. me with anything, but <laughs> yeah, I should be, I guess. Stab, I be. stab you with rabies. Uh. No, that's, oh, definitely that's true. something that I wanted stab. to lean into is giving, um, is letting that, uh, like imagination, let, let it, it really lets each player, uh, dive into however imaginative or explorative they want to be with the world. So in some of the few uh, playtests that we've done, um, like I've just like most of the time as a critter, you're starting out your life in a burrow, so underground. Um, and you don't have a lot of exposure to the human world. So as part of your first kind of adventures above ground, um, you're seeing a lot of things for the very first time. Um, so in one of the first playtests that we did, I described like the door to the bathroom, which is where their burrow exited out into. Um, as like the largest thing that they've ever seen. Like they've spent however however many months or even a year or so underground, but the big white like plywood door uh, to this person's home is the most big, the largest object they've ever interacted with. And my players ran with that and were like, oh, that must be the moon. Because I've heard the moon is really big and light. That has to be the moon. So for the rest of the game, there were multiple moons that they had to go through. So stuff like that, I think is is a reliant upon, you know, the producer, the GM, but also how invested the player is. Because there's any number of players that eh, just want to run around and, like, beat up the weird mutant beasts, and this game does that. Uh, But if you want to be, like, a little mouse running around a house for the first time, um, just, like, take a look at the desk in front of you or wherever you are, and all of the stuff on that desk that mouse could interact with and, like, chew into a weapon or mash together into, like, a ladder or a bridge or whatever the, whatever you would need um it really is a matter of imagination which i think is fun i think having giving people uh, a sandbox world that has um just enough of like a railroad or just enough guidelines i think is probably a better word to kind of uh channel that imagination it has been fun yeah yeah that's super cool and i i like just the idea in general of reframing human spaces through a, a you know a non-anthropic or a non-anthropomorphized kind of lens i mean i think that that's that's a big appeal with this game for me and you know i guess like mouse ritter mouse guard there's a few other games that have kind of explored this but i think to white's point earlier those tend to stay in kind of more of a like fantasy um you know you're not really thinking about humans as much Um, so yeah there's different connotations but yeah it's funny to think about like this tiny apartment in brooklyn that i'm in right now would feel like a, a cathedral 
built by gods yeah. to a mouse. Um, which makes me feel bad for trapping a mouse recently, but <laughs> yeah, well, that's been fun. That that's been fun to work on in terms of like the scale of stuff, which is why there there are a couple of different like mapping mechanics because uh, the spaces are so different and they're so much vaster and larger um, that your apartment is like a mini dungeon for, you know, a pack, a group of critters to run around in. Yeah. Um, similarly, like, I, keep, I always bring it up whenever I talk to Wyatt about it, but I really want to do, like, a mini supplement where the location is an arcade because I just think, like, a, like a 90s arcade would be crazy for just a, a bunch of little, you know, critters to run around in and maybe there's, like, organized crime coming out of the arcade or whatever the case is but what a cool place to explore being like seven inches tall yeah um and having that be its own like mini or maybe major dungeon um that's just on one part of the strip so if you set your blister critters world up as even your hometown which i think people can and would probably like to do um you can visit your arcade (laughs) and you can run around your hometown arcade as as this little critter and wreak havoc and um, have your own little, you know, in jokes and know where stuff is. And uh, yeah, I think well, not just the arcade, but anywhere. And I think that's, that's anywhere yeah. that I like about the game is it's very much, um, it's a game with a narrative structure. That's very different from still Cater Don's Macabre or, you know, blazing dark um, or cartel or something. Other games I like, um, you know, Ether Reich or something, but it's a, it's a game with a narrative structure, which is in a way, GM and players, like, where did you grow up? And what was that experience like? And what if you were an animal in your old, you know, home? And I think that's something Tony, you and I have talked about growing up in the suburban South um, at different mm-hmm. points in time um, and how there's specific attributes of that world. And if you, if you, I mean, it's always, it's kind of like, because um, I just read this amazing uh, short manual tabletop board gaming that Chris gave me. <laughs> so I'm thinking about this, but they talk about that, how you have to miniaturize. Like, you can't do the Battle of Waterloo because you don't have 300,000 miniatures. So, like, <laughs> you have to think logically a designer well, what, how do you kind of represent multitudes or like represent the chaos or, or a city being invaded or whatever? Um, so a city becomes three houses. And I think similarly, you can't represent all of Atlanta in the 90s, but you could pick like your street mm-hmm. you grew up on or like a fantastic idealized version. And, and since we've been talking, it's something, you know, I've talked a lot about Ethan, um, who loves your work and you work together. And, you know, I mean, Ethan wants to do one set in Rochester. I want to do one set in, um, in, in my uncle's house in Baton Rouge. You know, I want to, I want to see these supplements that are like short kind of like very specific yeah. dungeons. They're dungeon crawls that are limitless and it's the classic narrative structure. Explore a space, find loot. But in this version, you're mutant Ren and Stimpy and there's no humans. And so there's, you know, I think there's enough novelty, but there's also a very classic way to get players and GMs kind of instantly engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've come up with all these fun little mechanics, um, which I guess are all optional in a way, but I think, you know, the idea of collectively mapping and doing these kind of ad libs about the, the fake products that are in the house, right? To explore mm-hmm. like the cultural world that the again the rat may not know, but the player is going to get a laugh of the made up product. Yeah. Um, so I think those are all ways in that like most people playing games today in in you know the English language world, um, they don't have to have grown up in the suburban U.S. per se, but like there there must be some link where they're like, okay, I'm going to use sort of something from my childhood and in that scale when I was a little smaller and things were a little newer, um, and kind of mess with it and make fun of it, you know. And I think that's just such an inviting world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit fresh, yeah, compared to, not to knock the, the yield fantasy animal games, but it's a little different than, you know, I'm a, I'm in D&D, but I happen to be tiny. Yeah. 
I also think that the that infusing the whole thing with the vernacular of Saturday morning cartoons is really smart in that way as well. Because I I mean immediately you know we've we've talked about Ren and Stimpy, we've talked about SpongeBob, but I'm also thinking about like other shows that maybe no one else watched, but like Two Angry Beavers, um, or even like Ed Ed and Eddie, right? Like Ed Ed and Eddie, it's it's about suburbia. Dexter's Lab is kind of about yeah. suburbia. So there's these um, these like cultural cues that is, I think especially if you grew up in the late eighties, uh, in nineties, like wife and I did, or if you grew up in the nineties, like you have these kind of, uh, uh, really easy points of entry into the world just mm-hmm. because you've grown up with that media already, but then you're giving it that extra twist. Yeah. Like Ed and Eddie is a huge touchstone for when I'm trying to think of like, what would be like, I get to do research and then I'm watching Ed and Eddie uh-huh. or like Ren and Stimpy. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm working right now. Um, but in watching stuff like that, and uh being like oh i can write something i can include that and just have that be something that people can do in the game like swallowing a fridge hole is something that like ed does in one of the episodes or something but like that's a nonsense power that's a power that someone if they really wanted to maybe not a fridge but you know if you wanted to do something wild and absurd uh, you should be able to uh exercise that Mm -hmm. and uh you know cartoons that really lean into having a world of absurdity that is in some ways tied to like the mo- the mundane um are like big uh inspirations for the way that i'm trying to approach uh blister critters and encouching it and it's something that like encouching it in um like a modern ish setting is it's like 20 years dated so it's like the late 90s early thousands that i'm trying to like set it um you could play it whenever but um that's kind of where i'm trying to set the art and uh, a lot of the writing um I don't I don't know of many. I'm sure there are. I'm sure they exist. But a lot of like modern stuff is like post-apocalypse that will um, really lean into like maybe there's a better touchstone for it, but like Walking Dead esque post-apocalypse sure. where everything is like gritty and sweaty and dirty, and you're usually a human, and if you're not, you're still gritty and sweaty and dirty. Um, and so I I. I'd like to see more if I'm not aware of them. There's an infinite world of tabletop games that I don't know about. Um, but I, I, I'm enjoying creating not something that's clean because it's still kind of gross and it's still, Definitely. you know, kind of dirty or, or dark or whatever. Um, but I'm enjoying having a post-apocalypse modern setting that is intentionally and specifically fun and like cartoony that isn't, you know, everyone, everything sucks all the time. Yeah. Um, there's... can be fun. I play those games, but if, if I have a hand in it, I'd like for it to be like, no, we're going to play in this almost like a liminal world where all the humans are suddenly just gone, yeah. which is something that someone brought up during uh, a really, really early play test um, that I tweaked since that was like, man, there's like nobody here. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Everyone's gone. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've had to like write and make it feel like the world isn't some like liminal horror, you know, everything the world is empty and it's it, that's what's scary about it it should be still full of stuff to do yeah um but it is kind of spooky that all the humans but, are just yeah you yeah. could play it either way you I mean, could. that goes back to the idea of zany yeah. versus grimy and i think that's the strength of the game you know feature not a flaw is you could play it as um as haunted by humanity or mm-hmm. you kind of lean into almost like a um it's it's a sort of um misanthropic version of this but like there's a hopefulness that life will go on some form of life mm-hmm. it may be mutant or different or new or strange and i think a lot about just because it's probably my favorite movie of all time but like stalker by tarkovsky and the ending uh spoiler you know where like his you know his daughter has like telepathic abilities or whatever and you're just like 
telekinetic abilities. And I, and I think some of that is the idea that, like, yes, um, you know, people, you know, capitalism has destroyed the world and ground us humans to dust as, as we define humanity. But this comes up a lot in, in post-humanity studies as well as especially now, like, critical theory of all kinds um, around the value of the category of the human and, like, maybe we need to move beyond the human or try to reject certain enlightenment notions of the human because those guys... But one, they fucking owned slaves, and they <laughs> thought animals didn't have souls, and you could do whatever you want to them. And you know, there were some real problems with their conception of like what a human is. So I think um, I know that Tony, that's not necessarily a thing animating you as a creator. But when I when I read your pitch, you know, when I was thinking about this, it's like, oh, this is very much in line with our ethos and like things we want to do at Stealthy Studio, and just things I think about a lot in terms of, yeah, is it hopeful or, or really kind of sad and, and monstrous that all the humans are just just vanished? Um, and you know, how do you want to play that as a GM? But I, I do think. Um, they reinforce each other, right? So there's a yin-yang or like sweet-sour thing where I think if it was just hopeful, to me, that would feel a little silly and almost like, I don't know, not disrespectful, but it would be missing something. Mm -hmm. And yeah, to your point, if it was really dark and, it, you know, there, every game, like to Chris's point, there's a lot of grim, dark games. So I think yeah. having a sweet and sour version is good. And it reminded me of a game that I like. Um, I've only read, but I met the creator. It, it just it was a fun read. It's very short. Also, um, it's, you know, tomes go nice hardback books. It was a very short one called Rotted Capes. And Tony, I know you and I spoke about it a lot because yeah. it was this weird hybrid where it's about a classic, you know, superhero universe where Z-Day happens and it also affects soups. So there's, you know, there's basically now different kinds of people. There's normal people and then there's normal superheroes and zombie superheroes. And each of them are divided into basically A-listers and B-listers. You play as a B-lister who has not become Z. Nice. And so in a way, like, you have a job. Save people. Be a hero. It's a cartoon, two-fisted, you know, beat up the bad guys universe. But, like, when you're fighting bad guys, sometimes they are zombies who are A-listers. And it is terrifying. So though it's it really does both at once and walks this line of, like, very, very dark and also very fun. And just making fun of, you know, in the style of the boys, right? It's like mm -hmm. making fun of yeah. superheroism. So it mechanicalizes all this. Um, it's a very crunchy, you know, it's a very much a combat crunchy system, but it made me, which is your game is not at all, but it, it, it brought to mind that same thing of having your cake and eat it. We're like, it's a little bit funny, but it has the potential for this dark kind of commentary mm -hmm. and really kind of gritty, like, oh man, what would I do? You know, do I save this person or yeah. am I a solo asshole? You know, like, yeah. you know, the zombie apocalypse. Stuff. I mean, I would, I would describe this and Rotted Capes as kind of like post-apocalyptic gallows humor. Right. It's like there has, there has to be something funny. There has to be some kind of like joy that we can get out of this, but also maintaining the acknowledgement that, you know, the Anthropocene is pretty fucked up. It's not it's not great. We're probably going to do ourselves in and then the world will probably go on afterwards. And, you know, we'll have to see what that looks like. But, yeah, I, I like uh, um, having to imagine that world where, uh, you know, we're no longer around, but our, our archaeology still is. Yeah, and that's something that something dealing with, like what what does civilization look like? What does it even mean if like the humans aren't here? And um, meanwhile, I've talked a little bit about it, um, but like all the critters come from burrows, so like small collections of critters that like band together either underground or in some enclosed space to like you know protect them from the sun. Um, and how do they interact? Because I I I've had fun in my you know in some of my smaller like playtests of having the borough that you come from being um like not welcoming to strangers doesn't really want you to talk to critters from other boroughs doesn't doesn't encourage trade and so when you run into a critter from a different borough that's like wait you guys don't trade like food you guys don't trade resources you guys don't take care of each other we're living great we're doing awesome we don't we're not short on food and you guys clearly are which you don't want to trade with us 
Um, that's obviously a really simplified way to kind of put that kind of conflict, um, but introducing and having that be uh, a small part of like a story, or it can be like the entire season, the entire campaign of trying to convince your borough leader, like it probably would be better if we welcomed people from other boroughs into ours and what we could learn, you know, um, the critter's ability to read human language is like fuzzy and people and critters aren't really sure if they can or not. So like the knowledge that can be gained from human text, like wouldn't, wouldn't that be shared? Why would that be something that you would hold on to? Um, or like libraries of, of critter uh, boroughs that maybe have cracked the code on the ability to read and they have all these really valuable books for crafting smaller tools or how to fix tools or how to put how to turn the lights on um you know because electricity is all out because no one's no there's no human around to run it uh so in incorporating small bits of that kind of like really simplified like civilizational like conflict of like why don't we just show each other how to turn the lights on it would benefit everybody and it's like well i don't want to like okay um so that that's been fun to in, in the minor amount of playtesting and the minor amount of uh, exposure that i that i've had to it i think is going to be um like another lever that people can pull if, that, if that's a direction they want to take blister critters in is um the kind of community rebuilding and civilization restarting aspect of it like you know your town is absent all the humans and everything's kind of in disarray how is your borough and how are you guys going to band together to kind of get you know, whatever your address, whatever your zip code is kind of back under order or at least functioning better than it currently does. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it does, it provides players with a little bit of a tabula rasa, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah. well, what do we do with this weird world that's both alien and familiar at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's, um, I think the idea of something being alien and familiar is, is really at the heart of, of the game. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I hope, players come up with a lot of fun options drawing on their own lived experience whether it's childhood or like their pets frankly um or just stuff like one of the things tony said that i thought was really striking is like i want to gm stuff where i'm looking at my own desk or any gm is looking at their desk and like picking up objects mm -hmm. and like presenting it in sort of um, the tradition of in literature it's called martian poetry so um strong you know denaturalization or defamiliarization so you're describing kind of um everyday things but in this in this very almost like overly scientific way mm -hmm. where it's kind of jokey but it it, it causes that that distance where like you know the, the thing that they're talking about but it really forces you to see it from a new perspective so in the, the famous original like martian poem um i forget that it has some beautiful line about like you know the martians are basically coming to london and they're, they're like watching people and they say you know every night they watch movies alone by themselves in their heads and it's that um, idea of a dream being a movie that you you're telling you're watching yourself and you're enjoying and eating popcorn and it's like it's just really kind of a profound way that like yeah how, how would someone who's not human understand like um everything you know the choices yeah. made to build mcmansions in the suburbs of the sunbelt cities yeah. or 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 insert whatever the thing you're interested in right so i thought that was like a fun spark that um i instantly had ideas for games and, and, and stories so you know again we just we help people check it out and um yeah maybe we'll do another episode later on when the product sort of exists and we've, we've seen yeah. where tony's taken in terms of yeah, I think that would be. What's official? I think that would be great. I mean, we we should also do a playtest episode. If yeah, Tony, if you're amenable yeah. to that, um, absolutely, I think that would be, yeah, that would be super fun. Yeah, I'm super done. I I thought cool. about it. The critter that I would want to be would be a um, like a six to eight legged wiener dog. <laughs> that's that's my final answer. Sweet, that's great. we can make that happen. Yeah, I'm very we excited. Can, we can deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
Well, that's great. Well, Tony, you know, I don't know. I mean, so it's about an hour. I don't know if you want to keep chatting. Um, maybe we can, talk little, yeah. we can talk a little about like your art praxis. I mean, I'm kind of curious. Sure. You know, uh, honestly, I don't know how much different people will want out of this podcast. It's kind of a new project for Chris and myself, but any practical tips is something that um, sometimes does come up, you know, whether it's on uh, subreddit for TTRPG design or discord servers or uh, just in conversation. So since you are really a professional artist who is mostly, as I understand it, illustrating RPGs, that's how I've mostly yeah. interacted with you. Um, professional you know, with, a, with a lowercase p. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're as, just doing a lot of as it. As all the best professionals uh, should be. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, but maybe you have some thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you... Um, maybe, Chris, you have more articulate ones. The, the question that jumps to mind is, like, how did you get started with drawing in such a way where you could very quickly kind of take these fantastic science fictional or... Um, just wild ideas, surreal ideas, and render them, you know, faithfully, quickly. Um, you know, any advice kind of there, or, you know, again, I don't know, Chris, if you want to jump in as, as a, another professional drawer. No, that's a good question. Um, but I love this stuff. I'm very jealous. I, I love both of y'all's styles. Very different. You know, yeah, I think on my part, um, it's something that I that I get told frequently that I am like, quick, or that I am able to, like, materialize, like, at least sketches relatively fast. Um, I think it's largely down to my style. Um, I probably draw kind of quick, but I do think that it's a nature of the style that I've really honed in on over the past couple of years that like allows me to, uh, in a sense, get away with uh, it looking more uh, finished because my work is so line art heavy. Uh, like with the image that's on screen, like if we took away the color, it'd probably still look good. Um, and that's largely because I, I focus on doing the line work first and making sure that it would stand on its own, which I think most people probably should. Um, I think that if the line work looks good without color added to it, you're on a good track for the color to look even better. Um, but I, I guess like a short answer before I ramble too much is that I think it's largely just out of my style. I think that because I work uh, kind of Nignola-y, mm -hmm. where I like having the really stark black shapes, um, that's kind of where I've been starting as of late, um, where I've been trying to figure out more of the... Um, like the dynamic poses and shaping, especially for blister critters, because it's so cartoony, and I want to lean into the the zany action of it, especially for the combat image that we're looking at, where I really wanted to push some of the the shapes and the forms and lean into the motion um, of it. Uh, some of that stuff I think benefits a quicker hand. Um, so I think that if you're trying to really meticulously like measure the angle that the neck should be like breaking at. Um, I think you're going to have a hard time pulling off something that feels like natural and dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, but because I do just kind of throw it on there and I'll go back and forth. It's not like it's just the one line it's done. Um, but I do think a quicker, uh, more irreverent hand can lend itself to um, more dynamic posing. Yeah. Something I find often is that the more naturalistic you try to draw something that you try to render something the less dynamic it feels like i i run into that all the time um, especially with animal shapes like i i have this tendency to go really naturalistic with animals or with plants for tattooing mm -hmm. in particular and it always feels a little bit more stiff but yeah i think to your point when you loosen up a bit and you're kind of just like going like okay i'm going to block out these shapes i'm going to block out these these like large black shading areas things like that it does allow you to have a little bit more of that movement which lends a lot to the design of this book yeah, especially with the the black the the big black sections uh, in the illustrations is something that um, I think might be a mistake of people trying to do a style similar to this, where they're like, oh, I'll just do this part black, 
um, and I'll get away with it, where it is intentional. It is like, oh, this is a part that is in shadow, or this is a part where I don't really want people to focus on. Uh, not because it's not done well or because the shape is wrong, but the focus of an image should be where... Uh, should, uh, I put the black parts not where I want the focus to be, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes I do put a ton of black in an area where I want there to be a ton of contrast, where I want there to be... Um, it, for it to really pop um so like even on the one that like why it just pulled up like having the black kind of raccoon mask at the top like is a, is a lot more contrast than the rest of his body which is mostly black mm -hmm. um covered in shadow and he's mostly in black because you're really supposed to be looking at the turtle yeah in the mirror and the turtle yeah in the mirror and the turtle um yeah, so that's so. I mean, and, and for podcast viewers, I mean, but basically, it's a, it's sort of chiaroscuro, right? It's like a raccoon where because the raccoon's tilted, half of the raccoon's body is kind of shadowed black by a sort of self shading, and also holding up a looks like a big button or something at a little turtle. The turtle's in the foreground, and the, and the shield, uh, you know, the button is, is closer to us, and in the background, you know, is this raccoon who's, who's larger but is half in shadow, plus the mask, right, is, is black. So it's 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 a black and white image. It's a sketch, but just. It seems like Tony. One of the things you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, to paraphrase, is you're sometimes starting with a sense of like where you want the focus to be, where you want those really vivid, warm colors that you're you're known for, you know, are gonna are gonna pop to be, um, and then what is gonna be sort of shadowed or, or using chiaroscuro to recede things into the background, um, yeah, and that that's like one way to kind of get started with like inter, you know taking your, your vision in your head to to hit it. Yeah, it, it's definitely like uh, yes, all of those things paraphrase better than I was able to. Yes, that. Uh, some of it too is, especially when you're trying to like fill out, um, I guess like depending on like the brief or the project, but uh, because, I've, because I'm putting together the quick start very uh, design and layout focus, it's not um, like I'm just trying to fill in squares where uh, like a two column page and there's like a, you know, a three inch square at the bottom that I need to fill in. I'm almost approaching them art first and then i'm going to figure out where i'm going to fill the text in afterwards i have much more freedom to um have the shapes of the image mm -hmm. and then the motion that they convey because if you're you know reading a page uh, left to right and kind of going down um depending on where you have that image it might entirely screw up somebody's like line of vision intentionally or unintentionally uh, so if you do want it to be something that kind of stops them and has them like really focus on it then you do kind of want to break that um that like line of sight, I guess, or the the, the motion of the reading, um, but like for the for the cat um, image, for those that can't see, it's very angular. It's kind of almost like it's one big black paw, like a triangle that's pointing down, and the laser eyes point in the opposite direction. Um, and in the layout, it points directly to where you kind of need to be looking to read. Um, so I think that you know, I definitely try to make a very dynamic pose for the cat to create a lot of motion at the at the top of the page. Um, but I am also considering, uh, what's like the reading experience going to be like, um, cause I always have like, this big spaghetti monster on the page. Um, but the text is kind of flat. It's going to look weird. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, I'm definitely focused on marrying, uh, the two to, to varying success. Like I haven't done a million books, so I'm sure that I'll get you know better and better over time, but it is something that I'm trying to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, I have a question about that for you. I mean, as someone else who, who writes and, um, illustrates and does layout. So we all do layout at various, you know, interest in that. Um, but I, I primarily am just a writer and I'm hiring, you know, y'all, someone, <laughs> Ethan, to, to draw things. So, but as someone who's writing and illustrating and laying out, does this, you know, 
do you let the writing lead? Are you letting the art lead? Do you start with layout and blocking, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of how I think of it as like, what's going to look balanced with what, or when do you have empty spreads that are just too much text and you want to liven them up? Um, is, you know, is that, is that a process that you you similarly like consider or? Yeah, it's, it? it's something that I, I definitely consider. I think I take a bit of a different approach where I'm definitely letting the writing lead first for the text um, and then kind of figuring out art and layout after the fact there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just keep on thinking, you know, Tony, you, you started off saying that you, you might do this the wrong way, but I just keep thinking there's no, there's not a wrong way as long as it gets done, you sure. know, as long as it's on the page. Um, yeah. It just feel like whenever I, I talk about it, it's like, God, oh, no, I, I want to make sure that like the text is a hundred percent and then I'll figure out where I can squeeze in the art. And then in my mind, whenever I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, I know on this page, I'm going to want this big image of a cat with laser eyes. So how much text do I really need to have on this page? <laughs> uh, how, how succinctly can we put this really core mechanic on the page? Because I desperately want a half page image of a cat. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I think it has its pros and cons. Like I think um, it lends itself to being like a really visually striking book, which is what I enjoy. Um, but there are times where I think that going art first can be like, okay, well, you have this plan for a half page image of a cat, but the rules are going to take up like two pages now. And I was like, that's probably not necessary to do it that way. Um, so it, it is a balancing act. Uh, but I, I do think that I, I skew like, what's my idea for this page? How can I make it happen visually? And if I can cut a sentence off the rules to make it happen, then I'll just do that. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, brevity is the soul of wit, right? Like if we can, <laughs> If you can communicate your rule set in a way that makes sense and is, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, as long as it's legible yeah. and it's there, that's great. Yeah, I found with Stillfleet, Eric Lazar, my uh, friend, my, one of my brother's best friends who laid out the core rulebook, would be sending me these comments. He was working Google Docs and he was laying it out in InDesign before my, my wife and I took over all the layout. And he would be like, hey, this would look a lot better if I can cut one line. Like, there's a lot of text on across this spread. Can you just get rid of, like, a couple words? Like, literally, and I'd be like, ah, why are you asking me? I've worked on this script for, like, ten years to, like, cut some words. It's impeccable. No, but then, but then, now that I'm laying out my own stuff and other people's stuff for Stillfleet, I'm like, I'm just going, I'm cutting, right? I'm cutting my own stuff. (laughs) I'm like, Ian, I'm cutting the word thoroughly here. You don't need it. You've, you know, you've made this clear in this paragraph. It just, it'll make everything tighten up, mm-hmm. like instantly. You get rid of that one long word, and suddenly there's no hanging, you know, weird stuff. The paragraphs all look great. You're not breaking your own little internal design rules. So it's like I just got it by doing it mm-hmm. for, for dozens of hours um, in a way that when I had barely done it, and someone else was doing it, I was like, oh, I don't want to cut two words off. <laughs> how, you know, this entire spread. How dare um, you cut <laughs> yeah. any word? So, no, but I get it. So it's really, it is an interesting recursion that the more that I've done it, and again, without directly being as involved in the art, um, I have done background, like basically drawings of plants. Uh, but, but you know, there's a recursion between like, there's an idea for a section conceptually from the game level, but when you're making it, you have to have words and you have to have to some degree visuals of some kind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that in our, you know, in, in the current indie RPG world is like quarter page illustrations of various kinds or tables. Um, and so you end up sort of having to marry these things. Um, and it really does, there's a feedback where you, you realize, like, there just needs to be art. I've done three spreads in a row with no art, and it looks weird. Or, you know, there's a ton of art, and it's great, but, like, yeah, we can't fit it all in the spreads. So yeah. we got to sort of make choices. So, anyway, um, that is a very much, to me, a learn-by-doing thing. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how you would even, like, explain principles. There are, I'm sure there are best principles about balance. Right? There's, yeah, there definitely are. Um, yeah. I've not read them, but I'm 
sure they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to bring on someone who's really into that. You know, we not do. Because y'all, yeah, y'all have illustration covered, but I, I, I'm curious about well, layout. That's a different. Yeah, thing. layout design is its whole. That's a whole world right. unto itself. Yeah, um, I believe James from Boroughbound might be the per, might be a person. Oh, yeah, true. Nerd out. True, true. Maybe get Eric on. Um. Yeah, like if are, you scroll up to the like to the gravestone image. Oh like yeah. That's, that's where like I'm gonna be. Uh, I have like the death text, like what happens when you die, um, and so now I'm like, all right, uh, do I? How much do I love this image to where I'm gonna squash down the death text? It all fits currently, but as we start to add more to it, if we add more to it, um, do I have to get? Am I abandoning this image that I think is gonna be cool? Um, it sits in the bottom corner of the page. It doesn't take up that much more than everything else. Um, so this was an instance where I had the text first. Then I had the idea, and then it's a matter of which I think any creative kind of deals with is like how tied to this uh, iteration or how tied to this uh, expression of this idea am I? And right. Would there be a better way to go about it? Yeah. Um, and well, and I think it works so fast, I'm able to uh, iterate on it quickly. So it wasn't like there was a ton of time lost. It took me maybe ten or fifteen minutes to put this together. And so in that case, I can iterate on layout over and over and over again uh, for better or for worse i can spend a long time <laughs> putting together different layout spreads for what looks like the same thing to anybody else yeah well one of the also the good things so it's speed is definitely of the essence but um you know also maybe collaboration because i think that's where you do just get mm -hmm. um, regardless not not regardless of who it is but it, it's not so much like oh i like i'm so great at all this stuff but just being able to talk to someone else who has let's say laid out um specifically rpg books right and you can you get some you can get people's feedback. Um, and that's where a lot of indie creators, I think, are coming from a place of working solo and trying to learn all the skills. Yeah. Um, but but of, yeah. especially in the, this post-OSR moment, I feel like you are seeing a lot of people work together and collaborate. And it's a really nice, vibrant community where you, you learn sort of who's interested in what projects. And if you can... Some, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to financials, I, I think, and a lot of like what can, what can actually pay for our time versus what's sort of just, okay, this is a friendly hobby thing, which is totally cool. Um, probably the majority, right, of, of the work being done. But... Um, but yeah, I, I love this, and I love the idea here, especially of leaning into some of the cartooniness at the level of graphic interpretation. So, the section on character death starts with some text in a big, big ass gravestone with a, a raven with a skull face. Uh, why? Because we can, right? Because it's a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I wouldn't do that, right? In the in the fantasy grid system game, just because it's a little, you know what I mean? It's like on the nose. But here, it's like, no, no, everything. It's Ren and Stimpy, yeah. right? If it's, it's supposed if to it's be gross, on the nose. Yeah, yeah. It's literally like. We need to see an interior shot of Stimpy's like nostril as he's picking his finger, right? That's the kind of level of like. So it's a different graphic design universe than like realistic-ish sci-fi or typical high fantasy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know what I think spoiled me on having artwork all over the place? Um, I I think it was either the last Zine Quest or the Zine Quest prior, but uh, Slow Quest uh, Bodhi um, is a creator. Um, and he, his work is very much like art and layout and writing in this one big married uh, fusion. And his uh, Zine Quest Kickstarter for Goblins, um, it's fantastic. It's a really, really fun little adventure to play through. Um, but it came with a ton of artwork and every page is its own beautifully illustrated spread. And there's, it's just front to back 30 something pages of just straight artwork. Um, and I think that really spoiled me in that, like, I don't want to do that. Like, 
the two I can do the two columns, but like Bodie did it where he had every page be this crazy illustrated spread that probably took way too long. That's what I want. Um, and so I do think to a certain extent my uh, I've been skewed away. I think I because I, I also own I brought um, Hagmag was a Zine Quest from last year. It's like a five E uh, setting guide. Um, that's beautifully illustrated, really, really well laid out. And most of it is just two column block text on a white background. And it looks great. Um, so I think both have their place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that where I lie is, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go crazy with it. And I want each page to feel like you're opening a new piece of artwork. Because I do think um, as as thoroughly as I enjoy like games creation and sharing it with people, I, I think I'm an illustrator first and foremost. Um, and I get to express that through the game's creation. Right. Yeah, and back to the beginning of the conversation, that's a little bit like the Merkborg aesthetic, which is, um, you know, were, was their interpretation of, of OSR rules that different? I would say no, but um, inter- mechanically, right? But, but visually, it was very different. Mm-hmm. It organized differently. It looked different. It had different energy. Um, to some degree, you know, different wording, different kind of tone. But um, but if you strip down the rules, it wasn't really a reinvention at the level of the rules. It was like a representation. So I think that makes sense that Blister Critters, you know, if you had to put things on the spectrum from sort of Merkborg to like, uh, I guess like GURPS or Rifts, or, you know, just like, like lots of text. Um, yeah. Then, you know, it's it's not good or bad necessarily. It's different audiences. Mm-hmm. And, and also I think some of it, like we're talking about is, is, are you identifying, are you coming from like, I'm drawing art, I want to make this art into a game, or in my head, I'm writing kind of bulleted lists, you know, <laughs> that, that then I, okay, I need an artist to illustrate each of these bullets. Um, so they're sort of, you know, you can meet in the middle, but um, but I'm very excited for Blister Critters to look also just very different than Stillfleet. It's it's the first non-Stillfleet product we've put out, right? So it'll be the first time as a company or whatever we're trying to really do justice to someone else's vision that's not, it's right, it's not all about me at all. Um, so I think it's an awesome game. I'm going to play it a lot, and I've been editing it. But um, but yeah, it's very much Tony, your vision. So super excited uh, to do that. Um I guess uh, is there any maybe you want to do a couple like last thoughts or plugs or anything or Chris do you have more questions you want to uh, no get to? no I, I am tapped uh, but yeah Tony if you have any uh, if you have anything that you want to plug or put out there I know you have other projects other than blister critters that already exist in the world and look beautiful yeah um, so if you want uh, Amu is up uh, digital for the time being uh, on my itch page I have a couple of smaller games, including Frogs with Shotguns is up for uh, print and play. Um, along with some other smaller supplements, I made like a coding, uh, like a cipher font if you want to create um, like puzzles and stuff for your world. Those are all on oddgobgames.itch.io. Um, I'm working on a Morkborg modern apocalypse hack with like zombies and robots. Um, that'll be coming out probably by before the end of the year, if not sometime, start of 2024. Nice. Um, depending on when this gets released, maybe it's already a thing, and you can go look for that. It'll be called uh, Madborg, M-A-D, Borg. And the biggest thing I want to plug, which we've been talking about the whole time, is Blister Critters, which will be going live for ZineQuest in 2024. Um, I appreciate your guys' time and uh, talking to me and letting me uh, ramble a little bit about uh, what I've been working on. So I've had a ton of fun sitting here with you guys. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I'm, no, it's always fun. I'm very excited for Blister Critters. I cannot wait to be a mutated wiener dog in the in the future <laughs> i'm excited to illustrate that now and i'm going to set aside yeah, yeah. make sure that yeah. exists somewhere yeah wait till you have to hang out with my uh mutated i don't know like um 
maybe I'm like a butterfly who thinks that I'm venomous, but I'm just a butterfly. So I'm like, I talk a lot of shit. I'm like a butterfly hair metal guy, you know, like bandana. Um, yeah, bro, you don't want to mess with me, bro. But I'm actually just a very, very fragile, pretty boy. Um, so, all right, we're going to, we got to play this game now. Um, we're going to get this quick start done, Tony. we got to get this out to the world yep. to play this game. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on Why We Roll. You know, again, we're just we're sort of experimenting format, but I thought it would be yep. awesome to have you on early in the process. So, again, we can maybe have you on in a few months, and, and the book is out or in process, and we can sort of, you know, if you've played it, we can look at more. Um, Chris, thanks for, again, you know, letting us uh, jump in and of course. do some, you know, light marketing. Yeah. Uh, Tony's book. Um, I guess for now, this is Why We Roll, uh, and you can find us at at why we roll or at why we roll pod depending on the, the thing um and uh, yeah that, that's it <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for having me on yeah thanks for joining us tony thanks everybody for watching and for listening awesome Bye. thanks for listening to why we roll our theme music is by the brilliant sam tyndall and arpline if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitch and what used to be Twitter at Why We Roll, and on Instagram at whyweroll.pod. You can find out more about Dance Macabre at timespaceplace.itch.io slash dance macabre. You can find out more about Stillfleet at stillfleet.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>